so tonight I really I want to spend a little time because we've been looking at the gifts of the Spirit. We, we've been considering what that means. But I want to look at living the Spirit-filled life. Because I really believe um, it's one of our bigger struggles. Uh, not intentionally. Um, it's just because there is um, a battle when you're born again. There's a battle between your old nature, which in New Testament letters... Like in Ephesians, it refers to as the old man, the way you used to be. There's a, still a battle between the new life that's in you, the born-again life, the, the born-again, born of the Spirit, as we desire to live in a manner that honors God, as we desire to live according to what we read, that, that God empowered His people. He, he brought you know, um, His truth through His people. And, and He did it in a way that was it wasn't... Um, wasn't entirely premeditated and pre-planned by the person. And that person may have probably was in prayer and study of the word, but God brought forth wisdom and knowledge and truth into the world and brought the hope of the gospel through his people in, in, in really fresh and exciting ways. I mean, for one, it's a kind of a no-brainer that it's fresh because it's the, it's the expression of the church of of his called out ones there after the resurrection of Jesus and as we see him handing off this, this responsibility, this opportunity to declare the gospel, which we know then goes generation to generation, has been brought into the world. You and I are recipients, responders, and deliverers as well. And so it's kind of exciting if you think, can we agree, that how it happened in that first century. And you may hear people say, man, I wish the church today was was like it was then. I don't see any difference. In my study of the scripture, I don't see any difference. In studying through Corinth, Corinth was a carnal town that the Spirit of God transformed people's lives in. And we live in a carnal world. There, there's all, I really, there, you know, I mean, you got different dates and you got different variables, but, you know, it's still the same work God would do in our lives. But the early disciples, like the present-day disciples, had to learn to walk in the Spirit, had to learn what that meant. It was an intimate, personal thing. We're at risk because we have review available to us, and they didn't have it. What do I mean? History. See, we can study history, and, and we can study history and see the phenomenal work God has done. It's recorded in annals of history what we know to be the the church, what we see initially in the clear to the end of the book of Acts, or even Revelation, but you know, the New Testament letters, but then the ongoing work of the Spirit in the lives of every generation up till now. Maybe you are a reader, hopefully you are, that you you look into some of the biographies of history and, and the, the lives that have been transformed and the way they've God's impacted people. But we can look back and review, agreed? We can read those. I think that's great. The early church, they didn't have that. So how did they get it going? Well, it's the way we need to remember to keep going. They, he, they who began in the Spirit continued that way. You remember, that was kind of the reprimand, if you would, in Galatians 3. Tell me now, you, having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to complete this journey in the flesh? Are you now going to endeavor to be loyal and moral and faithful to God? through your own like focus and your own abilities and your own resilience. And, and we tend to do that. And I just want to take some time tonight, and we're going to look at this living the Spirit-filled life. For many of us, I think it's a review, but it's just, as I've reviewed it in the times past, I've never been disappointed. I've always been refreshed. We're told in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it's an interesting passage because it's a, it's a declaration for salvation, but the latter portion of, of Acts chapter 3, verse 19, says something that is so relational and so essential. It says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So that is such an such a essential thing for you and I. Where does the refreshing come from? That times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And so if you think about looking at gifts of the Spirit and you look at our lives as we try to live, walk in the Spirit, the greatest gift that God has given is himself. Literally to the born-again Christian, to the one who's put his faith in Jesus Christ, 
You know, we check out other things and we consider other pathways. But Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. This is the only means by which you can have a relationship with the living God and forgiveness of your sins. It's the only way is through him. So when we put our faith in Christ, when we put our trust in him and we realize he's the only way that I can be forgiven, that something happens. It, it doesn't, we don't grow a, a special Holy Spirit ear or eye, but, but something much more important happens. We are born again. Born within, born of the Spirit, the Bible tells us. And being born again, we're, really, we're told that the God in the person of the Holy Spirit, you know, there, there's three, God is one in three persons, personages. So there's, we hear the word Trinity, uh, a way to maybe see that more clearly to understand that word is the tri-unity of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God expressed in three personages. When you're born again, you put your faith in Christ. We're told that we're born again, born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit would indwell us, literally would take up residence, would reside within us. And so I don't always feel born again. You guys, how does, how, what does born again feel like? Could anybody like clearly define it? Because it's, it's not emotion, right? It's not just uh, ideological or, or, or like rational. It's so experiential. But the experience... We, we don't want to try to define through emotion and reason. We want to declare it. We want to realize it through the promises of God. And so there will be times when you're born again. You are on a... a, 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 a my editor said, mm, find another word, but I can't. You're on a high. You know, you're just this, like, man, this, everything is just like, wow, this is so good. And then there's times when you're born again, you feel ran over like by a truck. Physically, you're not doing well. Emotionally, you're unstable. Mentally, you're tweaked. And you're just trying to work it out. Guess what? You're still born again. You know, there's not a sentiment or a feeling that we can say, oh, this confirms. Because when we let the feelings define our relationship, what happens? When they falter, we falter. When they leave, we think God left. So it's so important that we understand we're born again. God himself indwelling within us. And Jesus spoke of an experience, an opportunity where we could ask and receive God's help through the person of the Holy Spirit. So let's begin tonight in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. John 14, verse 25. That's not, that sound you hear is not the call, that's not the rapture of the church, don't worry. It'll be a different, it's more of a trumpet sound than a train sound, honestly. So, you know, when we, when I, that would go by and it'll interrupt service sometimes, I just tell them, hey, it's raptor practice. Just a reminder. You just listen, hear that? Yeah, we're going to hear a trumpet soon. We're out. So, you know, just, just, just a pleasant reminder. Every time you hear the train. So, we have one little kid back in the day that was like, Jesus is coming every time you hear a train. It was awesome. I mean, what, what better way to, to remember a train blast? John chapter 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you will be in present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, hours, so to speak, just a brief period before the cross. And you know that there are, there, well, we know the text tells us, if you look further into in the earlier portion of this dialogue, that they were distraught. They were a little afraid. They, they were aware. They seen his countenance when he came into Jerusalem. That last time when he wept over Jerusalem. When they, 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 they understood something serious is about to take place. And, and they didn't totally understand everything, understand everything going down. But he takes the time, and, and this dialogue we're going to reference here and read through in portions is him building up his disciples in preparation for their worst day ever and their best day ever. And so here we have him telling them, listen, I've spoken to you, will be in present with you, the helper, the, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, he, he tells us this who it is, the Holy Spirit whom the Father has sent. So you see the triunity of God in the words of Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, recognizing the Father will send the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. He will teach you 
all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. I think it's one of those things that gives us a glimpse of the beautiful work of the gentleman, the Holy Spirit, in our lives. He's very gentle, very kind. And so when you're talking to somebody and then you start quoting a verse, or you remembering, remember something, and you're like, man, that's so cool. Remember, he helped you remember. You know, I'm sure you've been there where you quote something or you say something, and you go, wow, that's, I haven't read that verse in a long time. I believe God and the person of the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance, not just in a dialogue for an encouragement to another, but in a contemplation or a meditation or just working through life, reality, and our thinking. And then we remember, oh, man, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's not just because you memorized it in Sunday school. I'm glad you did, perhaps. But it's the Holy Spirit that brings those things to remember. So let me just say this as a sidebar, a bonus, no charge pointer. Study and know the Word of God. Learn it. Pray, God, teach me your word. I'm going to put my eyes to it. I'm going to open my mind to it. I want to have it in context. I want to see the content. I want to grasp it. And when you do that, you sometimes will read and think, I don't even remember what I read. Don't worry about it. I look at it this way. Load the library of your mind that the Holy Spirit can pull those things off the shelf at the time of need. And so that's just a helper to remind us, like, I want to I know the word. I want to be in the word. I want to grasp it. Do I get it all? No. But I still want to know more. I want to be able to take hold of it. And so he will bring to your remembrance. So Jesus speaks of a time for, for the disciples that the Holy Spirit, who's with them, but, and he's teaching them. But there's some other things to come. Let, let's glance from there over to John 16, specifically verse 13. I mention this because the scenario that they're going through is different, but we're also told in Ecclesiastes 3, there's nothing new under the sun. So we will face trials and struggles too. And you're going to see how I think it'll all hopefully fit together for our own application and understanding. But in John 16, specifically verse 13, now Jesus has been telling them what the Holy Spirit would do. He would convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and he would you know you know bring people to Christ functionally is what he's describing and then he says in verse 13 however when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Once again, you see the triunity of God right here in this chapter, chapter 16. But we see this when he's saying this, like, okay, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak on his, he will not speak on his own authority. So remember, the Holy Spirit will direct us to Jesus Christ, will deepen us in our walk with Jesus Christ. He won't draw attention to himself. There won't be things that are, we, we then talk about what the Holy Spirit did. He will do things when it's not that we wouldn't speak of it, but we wouldn't divert from the glory and attention to Christ where we then say, oh, the Holy Spirit did this. Does that make sense? He would then redirect us back around like, no, no, no. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on him. And so as he, we see that he will guide us into all truth, we find that I find that very comforting. He'll glorify Jesus, the things that the Father are, has, verse 15, are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. See, our faith will be strained, will be tested. I believe that is maybe a, a background in the reason that Jesus is encouraging and preparing and equipping his disciples. Their situation in this time is very unique, unique in all of history, never to be repeated. And what I mean is they physically got to walk with Jesus. They 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 you know they were invited to follow him. They they were in the boat with him. They sat along the shoreline with him. They walked the roads. They walked the miles upon miles from you know Galilee into Jerusalem and across the area. They walked with him. They've seen him upon the cross. They know his suffering. 
And so they lived before the cross. And, and that being the case, you know, the Holy Spirit is with them and he will be in them. His, he, the Holy Spirit's not indwelling them yet. He indwells you and I right now as believers, but it's what we're reading about. He's not indwelling them yet. And so Jesus is comforting them and reminding them because th this is going to be very shocking to them, agreed? He, he's going to be arrested and, and brutally beaten and everything's coming apart for them. And he's not just leaving them to figure it out. He's telling them ahead of time, listen, Holy Spirit, the Pericletos, the one who's just like me, he, he will be with you and he will, he will show you, he'll teach you. Let's glance over now from verse 15 in John chapter 16. Let's look over to John 16, verse 29. So Jesus continues to teach, and we looked went from verse 15 to 29, his disciples, and telling them these principles and truths. And his disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Oh, we get it. Oh, now I get it. And they were pretty excited. You can tell by the text, like, oh, yeah, oh, we get it. And Jesus went, yeah, go team, go. Well, actually, I don't think he did that. What did Jesus do? Jesus answered them, do, do you now believe? I believe it was a very clear question to them. I believe it was enunciated in a way that it went right from their mind to their heart. Because it was a, a question to them, um, do, do you now believe? Because this isn't the end of it. This is the, this is the, this is the journey. Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. You had to, that had to wreck your whole mind. Could you agree? Oh, man, I'm with you. I get it. Oh, my goodness. How did I miss it? You are from God. Do you get it? Because there's a time coming when you're going to turn away from everything you believe. You're going to flee. Peter said, though everyone else takes off, I'm not going to bolt, buddy. I'm going to stay, which Jesus had to call him out on that. Because there was a self-confidence. And Jesus is teaching them to have a confidence in God and not a confidence in self. We naturally tilt towards confidence in ourselves, And he's saying, listen, will you believe? Your belief, your faith will be tested. How do we deal with stress, with trials, with this testing of our faith? Let's just be honest. In tough times, in difficult situations, often we are consumed by the trial and we have a hard time learning how to trust God. Agreed? When the trial is severe, as, as much as we tell ourselves, I'm I want to trust God, that it, it overwhelms you. It comes in like a flood upon you. You feel like you, you just got your head above water and you're pounded by another wave of, of fear and, and worry. How do, I, how do I deal with this? And so he's really teaching, he's preparing his disciples for, for the storms that they would be embracing because he goes on to say, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world... You will have tribulation. It's a small letter T. It's not a capital T, which would speak of a specific event, which we would know the great tribulation is not what he's referencing here. What he's speaking of when he says, in this world you will have tribulation, trial, testing. You will have difficulty. So he's saying, in this world, you're going to have, things will be tough. This is before the cross for them. The tomb and the darkness that covered the land. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trials. In this world, it will be difficult. He's saying that to his most trusted followers. He's saying that to the ones who had already faced opposition. They've already faced different challenges. He, the ones that are, you know, just chose to stay close to him. All disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. You can believe and just be content to stay back. Uh, John chapter 6, 
Jesus presented a difficult teaching, a tough saying. He understood that they were taking his teaching of spiritual truths and he, they were stuck at a physical level. They were seeing everything from this plane. And when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And it grossed him out. And understandably so. Because he's saying you must eat, and you're thinking at this level, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And, and, and it, it was scandalous to him that we're told in the word. Does this bother you? And we're told in John 6, verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and walked with him no more. I believe the context gives us, leads us to see that many of his disciples that wanted to stay close said, this is a tough teaching. I can't accept this. I'll just hang back to the back at best. And they just moved further and further back because they had something they couldn't seem to work out. But he said it to them so they would actually have to sort it out. And so guess what happened? They were believers, but they chose not to work through a difficult season or a difficult teaching or a hard time. And he didn't do it. The result was they pulled back. It wasn't the intention. He knew what would happen. But do you see what's happened? When we're disciples, we choose to follow him. He's drawn us to him. And we don't always get it. There's hard things that don't make sense. They challenge our doctrine. We have collisions in our cranium as we're trying to work out the reality of a fallen world. We're, all the suffering and, the, and the, the death and all the disease and the stuff that's happening around us, and, and yet God is good and God is love. And how do we reconcile all this? Well, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When did he say this? Before he went to the cross. Because God, in God's mind, he's not limited by time. He's not looking at like, man, I hope I, I, hope I get a touchdown in the fourth quarter and we win this thing. It's, not, it's, it's all done. He, he goes through from, from the first century, we would call it, or he goes through the dark ages as we would know it, and he comes to, to even to this time now. It's all done. And from the creation of the world, the cross was accomplished. Does that make sense? It's not like this might happen. This might work out. God is in control. And he declares before it takes place so that when it does happen, we're told in the book of John, I tell you these things before they take place so that when it does take place, you may believe. He tells us in advance. This is how it's going to go down. This is how it's going to roll out. So let's look back one, just intentionally. Go back to John 14, and specifically verse 15. Now we've looked at the Holy Spirit is the person we've seen in the triunity of God in multiple passages. We've, we've realized and see even the early disciples and those who were close with him, they would go through tough times and tribulation. And in John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, I, I really believe to, to understand the context of that, oftentimes in scripture, if you could replace it in our English word with since. It's not an if, meaning you might not love me. It's rather, it's because. Or since you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is not just an essence or a power. It's a, the Holy Spirit is a person. We see that clearly in the pronouns used right here. And so, notice what he's saying. The Holy Spirit, and it's the word, the, the helper, or comforter, uh, intercessor, one who intercedes on your behalf. It's the Greek word, if you study Greek and like to dig into that, which I do, um, I encourage you. It, it's a parakleto. Parakletos is the word that's used there. And so he's saying, you know, he, he will comfort. This is the one who will come alongside you. He, he will lead you. And notice he says, he dwells with you. He's around you and will be in you. So he's dwelling with them. But they will not receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit until after the resurrection. That's when they'll receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You and I receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because he's already ascended. 
He's already been glorified. He's accomplished the purpose of the Father for humanity to die for our sins, to wash away the guilt and the shame and the consequences of sin, and to, to reign as, a, as conqueror, as victor over death and hell as the ultimate overcomer. And so he is glorified. You and I, we are, when we're born again, we're born of the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. I, I, I don't know. I, part of me is like, oh, man, I wish it would have been like, ba-boom. So you get a different heartbeat. Like, something, you know, it's like, oh, check his heart. We'll see if he's really born again or something, you know. Something is like, you could just like look in the mirror like, Yep, I got it, I got it, I got that glow in my eye, I know I'm born again. But, you know, that's our natural mind wanting to use natural senses to confirm a supernatural experience. It's much better to have it at a supernatural level, agreed? So here he's telling them, listen, this is what's happening, this is going to, he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. If you have a King James, I believe, uh, an authorized uh, standard or ASV, they use the word um, orphan as opposed, or I mean as, um, let's see, court, uh, he will not, I will not leave you comfortless, which is interesting because he transferred to or, orphans, and, and we would relate to that maybe as someone without a father, but it's better to see it's, you know, those without a teacher, a guide, or a guardian. He will not leave you that way. We understand in their situation, that's a really important thing to know right in the moment, especially in the hours to come. When you're looking upon the cross and, and the world turns dark and you realize, I, I've given my life to Christ and I've got nothing. I, I followed him. He, I believed he was the Messiah. I thought he was the Savior. He's dead and he's now been placed in a tomb. And you, you, know, you see what's going on? I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I got nothing. Jesus is saying to him, "Listen, I'm going to the Holy Spirit, who you don't really understand now. He's with you, but He will be in you, because I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you without a teacher, a guide, or a guardian, which is our Savior. He teaches us the truth about ourselves. He teaches us the, the truths we need to know." He guides us through this. To, to, to teach someone a truth and to leave them with the truth with no direction to walk through it is, is kind of odd because then you're self-reliant to figure out how to move through the truth. But to have the, the truth taught and then to guide you through and be your guardian as you go through it, that's really what the work of the Holy Spirit, that's how he does in our lives. So from here, now we've looked at there will be trials. We're to be encouraged. This group, the early disciples, the Holy Spirit was with them and would be in them. The Holy Spirit was with us and is in us. Now let's go to John chapter 20, verse 22. John 20, 22. This is for us to see what happened in their lives. So after the resurrection... They went to the empty tomb, the women, Mary Magdalene, and, and then there was just these others that declared to the disciples they were the first to preach the resurrection and make known to them. Of course, the disciples didn't believe them, but it's another story that's fun to read anyway another, another time. But notice in verse 22 of, of John 20, and when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So he had told them previously, remember, he would be with you, and he will be in you. But he, they now are experiencing this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they're now kind of sorting things out, and, and he gives them instruction to go to Jerusalem. And as you look there in uh, Acts chapter 1, just hang a right a little bit into the book of Acts, and there in chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, this is the group being assembled together with them. Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They're already indwelt. We know that, correct? From John 20, 22. 
The Holy Spirit is dwelling within them. But now Jesus is speaking of an experience, something that's offered to us as born-again Christians that would empower us and enable us, help us to, to, to walk in this truth he's given us. And he, he refers to it as this baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be baptized or overflowed with the Holy Spirit. Continuing on in verse 6, we see, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So I think in this, as I read this regularly, I realize, so he's talking about the things of the Spirit, and they want to talk about natural things. Hey, is this going to be, I mean, it was spiritual, but it's like, is this going to be the time you're going to restore the kingdom? They kind of change. Have you ever done that? I believe we do it more than we want to admit. When God prompts us about spiritual things, we're like, oh, hey, how's the weather? You know, we just kind of get distracted by these other things. And, and I love what Jesus says. Listen, not, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not for you to know that. That is not what is important to you right now. Let me tell you something. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all and to the end of the earth. So there's this opportunity presented to them, this, this offer, if you would. They've received the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus speaks of an experience and an empowering from God that will enable his disciples to be his witnesses throughout the world. I'm glad they waited for that empowering. It's so important that we do that, that we receive that empowering of the Holy Spirit. um, Now, some, even in the room or listening right now, have experienced this this empowering. I call it the overflowing work of the Spirit in your life, in our lives. But understand that this is an ongoing work that God offers. It's not a one-and-done deal. Oh, there was that time right after I got saved, and I was with this group, and we were, man, we just, we were praying, and man, I just knew God enabled us. We went out, and we were just sharing Christ with people, and it was just so fluid, so natural. Man, it was such an awesome thing. That's awesome. That's wonderful. But let's not reference what happened two decades ago. Let's know what God's doing today. See, there's a, it's an ongoing work of the Spirit. And it's not that you can use up all the Spirit that He poured into you, and then He's like, oh, I forgot to order another bottle, so we'll, get, we'll have to wait on that. And that's not what's going on. It's like we're filled with the Spirit because we request, we, we desire. And it's His desire to empower His children. And it's for His glory, not for our, you know, glorification or exaltation. And so we can then sometimes start walking and moving along, and without even realizing it, we're just relying on ourselves, and we're referencing an experience. And God's saying, Do you, 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 I want you to trust in me. I want you to walk with me. You know, to, to be spirit-filled is to be walking in dependence, obedience, and submission to God. Just to be walking in that, that awareness, you know. Can, can you remind yourself today and every day, not just... By, you know, a, a rational uh, proverb or, or a, a cliche or quick statement, but from an echo of the heart, can we remind ourselves, God, I need you. I need you this day. This very hour, I need you. That's not in any way some demeaning declaration to just carry me as, carry me as an invalid. It's, it's, it's a beautiful proclamation to be able to say, God, I need you. I'm so glad that I need you. I'm so glad that you've made known to me my efforts are pointless. My strength is weakness. These things that I need of, of you, I, I need you. I, I'm, I rejoice in that. What a beautiful declaration of dependence. Our nation has a declaration of independence. You have a declaration of dependence. God, I need you. Ephesians 5, let's go to there as we kind of work towards the end of our uh, time here. Ephesians chapter 5. I didn't say we're ending. I just said we're working close to it, which give you no hint at when we'd finish, actually. Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, or it was with wisdom. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. In other words, don't just wander around assuming that you'll end up at your destination just because you're walking a lot. If you're not following the road, you can't assume you're going to end up where the road would take you. And so it's pretty straightforward. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Cashing in the minutes 
because moment by moment we're getting closer to our departure. And we know the days we live in. I, I believe it's even non-believers, the secular world says this is all going to come to an end. It's all coming to a head. Things are going faster and faster. And as a Bible believer, as one who believes what the Bible says about the end time scenario, you see we are super close. We are in the last of the last days, just based on prophecy. So do we live with that truth in mind? Are we still goal-oriented, you know, earthly-driven to the degree we'll get around to spiritual things? Are we recognizing these things are most important as I manage these things? But these things have become secondary. We should have always been, but you know, sometimes it's not how it is. And it goes on to say, you know, because this, the, the, redeem the time because the days are evil. Therefore, verse 17, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. We're told in the Proverbs several, several places, and I was reading yesterday, where we're told to get wisdom, get understanding. And we're also told to give attention to know. Interesting, isn't it? The wording there is very interesting. Give attention to know. Much like in Joshua chapter 1, where Joshua was told to be strong and of good courage, to stay in the word, to meditate on it, to do it. Interesting, to do it. It was just not just to know it, it's to do it. So to, to take hold of this so that you may know it, that you may live by it, that you may do it. And to get attention, or to get understanding. Understand what is the will of the Lord right now for us as a gathering of people, for us as individuals, for you, me, in, our, in the season that we're in, regardless of location, but just where we're at spiritually, what's going on? What is his will? I believe it can be known. I don't believe that we have to demand intricate details. I believe the closer we are with him, the more aware we are of his will for our life. I believe it's just a, when you're in a room with somebody and you spend time in their place, you know more, you know, just know more about them, correct? You just see more about what's important to them. You see the pictures on the wall. You see their family members. You see what's important to them because you're closer to them. And from outside, you just, just see, you just see where they live. And it's that way with the Lord. The more we're closer to him, the more we see his will for our lives. And going on to verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but, and this is where I want to go to, be filled with the Spirit. This is an exhortation to those in Ephesus. It's an exhortation to believers. It's a reminder even to those of us who have been filled in the Spirit, who have seen amazing things happen and miraculous things take place. Keep ye being filled. It literally is what the translation would mean. To, to not just be filled, topped off, but to continually be filled. Continually have that, that flow, if you would, uh, as, the, as says in, I believe, John 6, speaking of torrents of living water that would come forth for, from us. Speaking of the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing that God has just have this constantly working through you, in you, and out of you? Keep ye being filled. Galatians chapter 5, 16 says this. We'll bring it up on projection. I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We're encouraged, we're exhorted, we're reminded. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk speaks of to continue in, steady, step by step, one by one with him. Some of us find ourselves in seasons where we walk for him when he actually invited us to walk with him. Do, do you know the difference? Where we walk for him. We're so enamored and we're so zealous and we love God and he's done it. We're so gra grateful for what he's done and we want to do things for him. And, and don't think that that's a bad thing. But you want to realize that in, in that desire, it's actually his calling is that we would walk with him, not just for him. Because when you're walking with him, you'll see how to walk for him. You'll see how to do things with him. Don't, let, don't make a big deal about it. But, you know, I'm just going to say this right here where we're at. If you struggle with sin, if you're weak and stumbling spiritually, if you're worried and fearful, 
maybe about someone or your own needs or whatever it may be, you need him. You need his power for this hour of your life. So we all have, I can't say we all, but I think a good majority of us that I know here tonight have had some wonderful, wonderful experiences that were personal verifications that the promises of God are real for me. But we also have to remember sometimes we live there and we're actually breathing here. We're to be living here. And so you need him. You need his power for this hour, for this season. So how do we receive the filling of the Spirit? Uh, seek and receive. It's like submit and request. Humbly ask for his help really is all it comes down to. Humbly ask for his help. We know, we know in the book of James we're told concerning wisdom, but this principle is true. It's not exclusive to wisdom, the gift of the Spirit. But you have not because you ask not. And it's not that God's saying, well, you didn't ask, I ain't going to give it to you. It's because he wants you to learn at, when you're close with him, learn what this is like, because he's really drawing you closer to him so that you don't see him as just somebody you run to for petitions and then run back into the world, but rather you stay close to him. And so really it's, you know, remember what happened in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1? It's like you guys just you wait till you receive the power from the Father to enable you to be his witnesses, my witnesses. And so they just received what he offered. And remember, God desires to lead you, to comfort you, to teach you, to guide you, to guard you. And so we're just going to stop right now before our closing time, and then I'll go back to another portion, and we're going to pray. So will you just join me in prayer? We're going to start with some silence, and it's really a time to settle your heart, and, and just let, if God spoke to you about something, then just, let him speak his words of comfort and words of life, and then we'll pray. We'll have some, a quiet time here for a moment. God, these words that you brought to us tonight, as you have stirred our hearts and minds, you, you, you dug deep and you've awakened things, you've reminded us of things, and we're just so thankful, God, that you do that in a way to build us up, not tear us down, that you draw us nearer to you. And so I would request right now, tonight, God, Right where we're at, where we happen to be, whether we're on site here in these chairs or at home listening. Would you grant to us all that you desire for us? Would you fill us to overflowing for your glory? Would you pour into us in such a manner, may that picture be true, that would gush forth from us your work, your comfort, your hope, your love. Holy Spirit, overflow us, baptize us in such a way that we are not trapped and drawn to this world, but we're captivated, captured by your love. Fill us, O oh God. Fill us, O oh God, individually, perfectly. I would request as well, Lord, in this moment, you know each one of us, and I would request that you would grant to us the necessary gifts to live for your glory according to your purposes. Where the gift of wisdom is needed, may you pour it into us. The individual that needs that comfort or knowledge, the one who can be your spokesman, may you give him the gift to speak clearly evangelism. Grant to us, God, us that kindness and compassion, the gift of hospitality, administration. Gifts that we don't even really know how to categorize, but yet you know what we need, we would request, God. Let our hearts not rip us off. Let not our old ways keep us from receiving what you would have for us, God. We are joyfully dependent upon you, Jesus. 
We know you won't violate our free will. You won't make us do things. But could you help us understand your love in such a way that we would long for more of you and less of us? Fill us with your spirit to overflowing for your glory, God. May we walk in humility and wisdom with compassion and empathy for people. May we be more concerned about what you have to say than what any anything else is said. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you. We believe your promises to be true. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. So why would we go there now? Well, we request this according to the promises of God. He's made known that we can receive this. Now maybe we can get a glimpse of what it would look like. We've seen it from 1 Corinthians 13, correct? That this is what love looks like. This is, is how love is lived out. And let's consider a few things out of what I call the Proverbs of the New Testament. Nestled here in this beautiful doctrinal book of Romans, we have such practical expression and direction. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy, duality, pretension. The, the hypocrite would be one who would put on a face and a facade. It, it, it draws from the original language from the theater where a mask would be held and it would be present one face, one part of the play. And then that mask would be turned around on the stick and that would tell you that it's a different figure, different person, and a voice change would be in a point. And so now this same person was now two people. And so you see what's being said, don't, don't be two people. I can just tell you right now, it's easy to easier to wholly follow the Lord than trying to be two people. There's probably nothing that's going to wear you out faster than trying to be this to your coworkers and this to your Christian friends. It's just, you ain't got time for that. <laughs> you ain't got the strength for that. And maybe you can just verify, you don't have to speak, of course, but you get it. You know, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't, don't, don't find yourself caught in this duality. And he just says, abhor what is evil. Don't entertain what is evil. Don't, don't say it's okay just because the majority of people do it. It's not approved even if a great number of Christians do it. If you know it's not right, then you may just in your own privacy of your heart, just don't do it. You don't have to even get into people's grill, so to speak. For years, I've held on to, and I believe I'll continue to, certain things that I don't do that I will not put on you. And there's certain things that for some reason the Lord has just put on my heart. Don't do that. And so I know it's, it's contrary to his will. It's evil. And so I don't put what God's put on my heart on someone else, but I do want to make sure I, I abhor what is evil. I cling to what is good. Obedience is, with the Lord is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Man, such practical stuff. This is how we, we do it. But we have to have that power of the Spirit, that work of God in us. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Rejoicing in hope? Patient in tribulation? Wow, isn't that a challenge? How many can say, yeah, this thing I've been going through has been so devastating and debilitating. I'm okay with the timeline. Said nobody. It's like, I'm, you're not okay with it in the natural reasoning, but you can say, God, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I would rather decrease that you could increase. I don't even know how to ask for help, but I believe you got it. And when you talk to people who have this mindset and have that uh, knowledge of the presence of God filled with the Spirit, they can't explain to you why they're at such peace through such, such trials, through such catastrophe, yet they have a calmness. And it's because this here is just, just steadfastly in prayer. Notice verse 13. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one for evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'll just give a brief comment on that second to the last part. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. I've read a lot about what this means, and I think in simplicity, it's, you know, you didn't, Bic lighters hadn't been invented yet. You, you know what I'm saying? So to have a fire and to be able to now have, you know, someone to hand off coals from their fire to take to your fire was an amazing thing. It was a gift. And to be able to have those, and you may be familiar with many of the ways they carried things, were on their head. You know, very heavy items, very light items, some very bulky items. So really, when you see where it says, in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on that, you're actually blessing them. Now, I know others have interpreted it to, you know, to be anger and reference some other things, but it just doesn't fit in the, in the element of love, in the, in the whole context of what's going on. So, you know, it, if your enemy's hungry, you do what you wouldn't naturally do. You do what you're actually enabled to do through the person and the work of, in the presence of God in, in, in the person of the Holy Spirit, we are able to do things above and beyond what we could even ask or imagine because of his love. So we're going to have time now to just sit and relax, you know, maybe chat with each other. I really like it when you share with each other what God's speaking to you. Yeah, obviously, it doesn't have to be like a broadcast to the whole group, but you have people here probably that maybe you know or you want to share with or however it may be. And, and so just it's good to articulate what the God of creation is doing in your life, doing in your heart and showing you. You don't have to have a doctrinal perfection as you share it. It's just what's real. It's just life. And I think the church has got so shifted so much at trying to be accurate doctrinally that they've missed life relationally. And we find ourselves kind of lonely and struggling. One last prayer. God, thank you for your grace. Your love, thank you for just that we, right, even in this room, we have such a beautiful opportunity that you've given us to be an encouragement to one another and to be encouraged by one another. And so we just thank you for what you've created, God, the family, your family, the family of God, a gathering of born-again believers knit together by your wonderful love, bought at a price we could never pay. Thank you, Jesus. May you continue to draw us together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.